about three years ago, uh, Cindy and I got a call from our daughter, Alyssa, and she wanted to make sure we were both home, and she said, we want to come over, and we have something we want to tell you. So in a couple of minutes, here comes Alyssa, Josh, Sabrina, Olivia, Bella, Eden, and Silas all walking up to our front door, and they have these big smiles, great big smiles on their faces, and they all sit down in our living room, and we have no idea what they are going to tell us, but we know this is going to be something big. And then Alyssa blurted out, we are going to have a baby. And that's how we found out about Grayson. I share that to make this point. The bigger the announcement, the bigger deal you make out of it. Amen? Well, in Isaiah 40, God has such a big announcement that he said, shout this from the top of the mountain. Go get up on a high mountain and shout this out. Don't hold back. Use all the strength and the power in your lungs. This is the biggest announcement in history. It's the most astounding and astonishing thing anybody has ever heard. And it's the best news in the world. So don't hold back. Announce the good news. And here's what I want you to say. Do not fear. Behold your God. He is coming to you. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Glory is the beauty of God. It's his perfect nature and character. It's his greatness, power and majesty, but also his love and holiness and goodness and God said he is going to reveal his glory to, the, to us. This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. He is the glory of the Lord that all flesh will see. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all use this passage about Jesus Christ. John the Baptist quoted these words just before Jesus began his public ministry. He said, I am that voice crying in the wilderness and he said, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Jesus was God coming to us. In John chapter 1, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. So, Jesus Christ is the reason for shouting from the mountaintops. Because his coming, his revealing the glory of God, literally solves every human need, every problem with, of the world, everything that is wrong with your life and everybody's life. He is the end of fear and misery and war and sin. The old hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues, says, Jesus, the name that charms our fears and bids our sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, it's life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. 
His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood did that for me. His blood availed for me. Jesus releases us from our bondage to sin. He removes guilt from us and the judgment due to us because of our sin. But he also came to relieve us from the misery that our sin has brought upon us. He brings healing to us. There's another prophecy about Jesus in the book of Malachi, and it says, The Son of Righteousness has risen with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping like calves released from their stalls. What a picture of joyous, leaping, uh, scampering about in happiness because the Lord has come to heal us, to heal our lives. He's risen with healing in his wings. So what effect is this great announcement supposed to have on us? I can tell you what effect Alyssa's announcement had on us. We jumped up and down and and rejoiced and were happy and hugged and it was uh, one of the happiest days in our life. Well, what what effect is this announcement supposed to have on us? God tells us it is supposed to comfort us. Comfort, comfort my people. God said, I want my people comforted. So the gospel, the gospel message of the entire Bible, the gospel message about Jesus Christ begins with good news, with very good news. It begins with a gift. It does, it does not begin with something you do. It does not begin with something that we are to do, but something God does for us. We are comforted because God is doing something for us. He is sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. His glory, the glory of God, will be revealed. God, the Lord your God, is coming to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this is the biggest shock of the gospel. We all thought God was someone against us who was waiting to crush us, but God calls his prophets and says, go and comfort my people. God knows that what we all need because of the way in which we are battered and bruised by sin and evil in this world is to be dealt with gently and to be soothed and comforted And that is precisely what God does for us. So God speaks this message right into the worst possible circumstances of life. The people that Isaiah are are speaking to, their lives were, were in a state of disaster. This message is spoken to a people who had fallen into sin and were defeated by their enemies. They'd been exiled, taken captive. Their, their cities, even their homes and possessions were in ruins. They were under judgment for their sins. And into these very harsh realities, God said, I want you to go and comfort these people. In fact, I not only want you to comfort them, I want you to speak tenderly to them. Speak tenderly to her. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. Uh, That phrase, speak tenderly to her, literally says, or literally God said, speak to 
her heart. God wanted the hearts of his people to hear this message of comfort. It wasn't just a something for their heads. It wasn't just a, a theoretical message. It wasn't an academic message. It was something for their hearts. And I tell you this morning, God has something to say to you right here. And he wants you to hear his word in your heart. And he says to you, as, as he spoke in Isaiah, as a mother comforts her children, so I will comfort you. You know, it's a well-known fact that soldiers that are dying in the field of battle in their last moments, almost universally, call out for who? They call out for their mothers. Why is that? Because at least generally it's true that no one can calm and soothe and love you like your mother. And God desires to comfort you with the deep, overflowing, unending, motherly comfort. As a mother comforts her children, even so, I will comfort you. Whatever is going on in your life, whatever has gone on in your life, whatever stress or fear or discouragement or problem is going on, let God comfort you. Paul said God is the God of all comfort. He's a God who has comforted me in all my affliction with all comfort. <laughs> Ironically, I saw a message title this week uh, that read, God cares about your character, not your comfort. You know, Bible teachers often say God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. I know what they're trying to communicate, but those are false dichotomies. <laughs> These are false choices, as though God were saying, uh, choose me or happiness, or choose good character or comfort. But the scripture, the Bible, reveals God himself as our fountain of happiness, our fountain of joy, the psalmist calls him. David said, you give us to drink of the river of your delights. Of course, God is willing to discipline us for our good, right? But his goal, his end goal is to make you whole and well, and full of peace. God's discipline, it, it yields happiness. It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. God said to Jeremiah, I will make an everlasting covenant with my people. I will never stop doing them good. Yes, I will rejoice in doing them good. Jeremiah 32, 14, 41. Uh, Randy Alcorn uh, had a blog about that verse, and he called this the joyful enthusiasm of God to do people good, to do his people good. The joyful enthusiasm of God to do you good, to do us good. And he said that time after time after time, he had been bowled over by that verse. The more we believe that God is ultimately out to do us good and that he actually 
delights to do us good. The more we believe that, the more we will love him, the more we will live for him, the more we will gladly lay down our lives for him. If you're not living full out for Jesus Christ, it may be because you've never been bowled over by just how good God is and how much he intends good for you and how much he actually rejoices in doing good to you. So what is comfort? Well, it's hard to put in a single definition or a single word, but it's certainly relief. It's a sense of relief. It's relief of pain and misery. I can't think of a better description of comfort than when it says that God himself will wipe away our tears. That's comfort. When God, when God comes to you and God himself wipes away your tears. It's the assurance that everything, everything is going to be all right. It's the promise that wonderful good is coming to us that will make up for everything and anything that has ever happened to us, all suffering, pain, disappointment. Comfort from God is a powerful thing. It gives us strength and hope and encouragement. It makes us able to go on living with joy even after bad things have happened to us. God's comfort is just such a compensating, powerful force in our hearts. God's comfort matters because life is hard and painful and at times miserable. Uh, There's a famous line by uh, Julian of Norwich. She was one of the mystics and... Uh, once in a while, I've read some of them. And she, asked, she had an experience where she asked the Lord why there should be evil and suffering in the world. And the Lord answered her, It is necessary that there should be evil, but all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That may not strike you, but I love that statement. And sometimes when I've been deeply troubled, I think about it. All shall be well. And that is essentially what God is telling his people here in this passage. Comfort my people with this. I'm coming. Behold, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Your God comes to you. And it's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Everything. And the good news of Isaiah 40 is, of course, is that Jesus Christ himself is God's comforter. You know, Cindy has a book she loves. I do too. Christ the healer. You could name that Christ the comforter. He is God's comfort. All things turn to our good through him. The comfort of God flows to us through and only through Jesus Christ. And that is why it's so important for you to come to Christ, to draw near to Him, to believe in Him, trust in Him, to have a relationship to Him. Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will find rest. You will find comfort for your souls. Jesus Christ is God's comfort. And through him, God says to you, be comforted, my son or my daughter. Your sins are paid for. Uh, The war is over. 
uh, your enmity with God is over. God is not against you, but through Jesus Christ, through him, you have peace with God through faith in him. Jesus Christ is the glory of the Lord that will be revealed. Now, I think there's two aspects of seeing the glory of Jesus. First, when Jesus came, born as a baby, which is what we are celebrating or focusing on at at this time of the year. When Jesus came as a baby, the glory of the Lord was seen here on this earth, right here among human beings, all flesh. You'll see it. That means all flesh. That means people. Human beings are going to see the glory of the Lord. And in the Gospels, and as you read the Gospels, you can see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, We see his glory in the authority with which he spoke. Never did a man ever speak like this, even his enemies said. We see his glory in the miracles that he performed, the wonders. Uh, Jesus revealed the glorious love of God for sinners. He had compassion on the crowds because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's, That's a revelation of the compassion of the heart of God for people. He healed the sick, he fed the hungry, And most of all, he revealed the amazing, the glorious grace of God by going to the cross to die for sinful sinful people in order that the very root of all of our problems might be dealt with at the cross. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And even more specifically, if you want to know what God is like, look at what Jesus did for you on the cross. Look at the cross see so much about God right there. For now, we see the glory of Jesus mainly with the eyes of our heart, with spiritual eyes, and we love him. Uh, Peter said, even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And even though you haven't seen him yet, you rejoice in him with great joy, inexpressible, and full of glory. So we see and we enjoy the glory of Jesus right now with the eyes of faith. And according to what Peter said, you know what? You might be able to see the glory of Jesus and find more joy in it than you ever thought possible. I mean, he's t- he talked about joy inexpressible. We need, we need to see the glory of Jesus to that degree. That it changes our heart. It changes what's going on inside of us. So we... Rejoice in him because we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. But someday his glory will be seen in a fuller, complete way. Someday he is coming again in, a, in an unveiled revelation of power and glory. Uh, he will appear like lightning flashing from one corner of the sky to the other. He will come it says with a two-edged sword in his mouth, he will come to conquer and put down his enemies forever and he will visibly rule on earth as king of kings and lord of lords and we will be safe and happy under his rule forever and ever and ever. 
the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all of that, all of that, the glory of his first coming, the revelation that we see in, his, in him as a, coming as a, to live as a man, the, the future glory of his second coming, all of that is included in this prophecy in Isaiah. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Next, God said to prepare for his coming. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Behold, the Lord your God comes. Well, what is the meaning of these verses. Well, John the Baptist, we know, as I already said, he is the voice, and he repeated these words right before Jesus came. And he said, make a highway for our God. What a statement. He, told, he, told, he cried out, he, made it, he told the people, make a highway for God. What a strange message. <coughs> In those days, uh, the roads were rough or non-existent, and when a king, any king, went somewhere, they would send out a road crew ahead of them, and they would make a road for the king so that the uh, wheels of the chariot or whatever he's riding or horse could have a smoother place to go. And so they would raise up the low spots and they would knock down the high places. But the word picture here is of something much bigger. The word picture here is a massive worldwide engineering project like the world has never seen before in history. Lift up every valley. Every valley. And Cut down every mountain. Make a level path. Make a highway for God. For the king is coming. God is coming to us in Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. In other words, I mean this is obviously, it's a, it's a poetic way of God saying, get ready for the most astounding event that has ever happened. We sang, one of the phrases we sang this morning, I, I love it, never noticed it before, and you might have to help me out with Alyssa, but it was, the, the night has turned today. Anybody remember what that phrase was in that song? How'd it go? You guys sang it. <laughs> okay, all right. But it was like, that's what Christ's coming is. It's, it's astounding. It's, it's a stupendous it's not only a life-changing event, it's a world-changing event. It's a universe-changing event. Suddenly, the world spun around and night became day when Jesus came. What a phrase. I love that. <clears throat> so, was this word picture talking about actually tearing down mountains? and filling in valleys? Well, no. No. It was about getting your heart ready. Okay. 
It, I mean, it sounded like this massive engineering project, this massive thing that w- would take place. Uh, John, John Stice and I are reading a book on the Panama Canal, the cut through there, what an unbelievable project it was. I mean, this, th- what John is talking about here is like something much more massive than that, a massive worldwide project. But he's saying, no, I'm talking about your heart. A, a massive preparation, work of preparation needs to go on in your heart. Get ready for the Lord to be revealed. Get ready for Jesus. In other words, it was, a, it, was, it was about repentance. This whole word picture was about repentance. And that's what John said. He, after he said this, he, I mean, he, he preached the message of repentance. He prepared the people for Christ by calling them to repentance. You know, people come to Christ in many different ways. And if, if we were to you know, just open it up and have everybody share uh, a little bit about how they came to know to know Jesus. Um, you know, the stories would be just totally different. Uh, some conversions are very dramatic. Some are not. Some know the day and the moment, the minute. Some don't don't know for sure. But let me tell you this: no one can come to Christ without repentance. Repentance means to have sorrow for your sin. Repentance means to see that you, not somebody else, it means to see that you need a Savior. It means to be sick or to become sick of your sin and yourself and the way that you have been living life on your own. And it means that you thirst for something more, for something better. And that's why Jesus said, all you who are thirsty... Come to me, and I will give you living water. Thirst is a word picture of repentance. People who think, I'm good, I'm just fine, I've got this, or I'll handle it, will never see the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you knew you were blind, I could heal you. And if you just admit that you were blind, if you could, see, if you could say, we're blind, I could heal you. But because you say, we see, Jesus said, I can do nothing for you. Repentance re- prepares you to be made well by Christ. And it's the only thing that can. And that's why this was such a big deal. Prepare the way of the Lord. In Isaiah's day, God had worked repentance in the hearts of his people through war and captivity and loss. Uh, in verse 2, that's, that's the context of verse 2 where it says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. These people had experienced the misery of war and captivity and slavery because of their great sin. And if you read the book of Isaiah or up, up to this point, uh, the descriptions of the sin of Israel, pretty shocking. 
for example, it said they parade their sin like Sodom. Does that remind you of anything? It says they parade their sin like Sodom. They flaunted their sexual sin. Their land is full of idols. Their words and deeds are against the Lord. They have harps and tambourines and flutes at their banquets, but they have no regard for the Lord. They are heroes at drinking wine. They have rejected the law of the Lord. Therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. I'll include a bunch of references for that in my notes, but I'm not going to go over those. So they do go into exile. That's what God said. Uh, Israel was taken captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Judah was taken into captivity in Babylon in 587 B.C. And God intended or God used that captivity as a purifying force to lead them to repentance and to cause them to turn back to God. And so in the context in Isaiah 40, was God was speaking to people that had been chastened and broken by their own sinfulness and failure. And I ask, have you been humbled and chastened by your own failure, faults, and sins? Those are not pleasant things, but if they make you deeply aware of your need for Jesus Christ, that is a good thing. Israel's captivity, of course, was a specific situation, but sin and its disastrous effects are experienced by all people. Every one of us here in this room are aware, at least to some degree, that things are not all right in this world. We're, we're just aware that in some le- at some level, to some measure, things are not all right with our lives. Uh, we groan under a curse because of sin, Romans 8. And we, we, it's not just a doctrine, we all keenly feel that. Uh, there, there is so much that is good in life, but life is not perfect. Life hurts, there's failure and disappointment and death. And sin and evil is not just out there. It, it, we, we have found it, experienced it, seen it. And felt it right inside of us. So how can God comfort people like this? How can God comfort people like us in the darkness of this world? And it's sin and failure. Well, only by doing something really big for us. Only by God, by God making a big change. Did anybody find the words to that, so- that song yet? No, okay, all right, forget it. <laughs> The world revolved from night to day. Wow, that's what happened when Jesus came. God, he came to comfort us in the darkness, and it's like, wow, things changed from night to day when Jesus came. And he said to Israel, in in this context, again, going to the historical context, he said, hey, go go tell them the war is over. Their sins are are forgiven. They're not going to receive any more anger or wrath for their sins Tell them, I am coming to save them. This is the good news of the gospel. And of course, that message goes way beyond Israel and their tragic condition. Its message we know, of course, from Isaiah and from all the rest of the New Testament revelation. This message is for us. It's for you. 
It's for everyone here in this room, everyone listening to my voice. And again, the comforting message is that Jesus Christ is God coming to us to deal with our sin problem, to comfort us by that. And I think, I think we don't realize the magnitude of that because we don't realize, we say the sin problem and we think, oh yeah, I guess maybe I did something wrong or said something I shouldn't have said a couple days ago. Okay, Jesus will fix that. No, no this, our sin problem is the root of every problem you have. It's the, it's the root cause of every problem, every misery, all the suffering in the world. It's gigantic. Our sin problem is gigantic. And he is the answer to the entire problem of sin for all time. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ released us. Christ, Revelation 1 verse 7. He loved us or loves us and released us from our sin by his blood. That's good news. That's great news. And I know, I know just from human experience, I know we're all looking for something to make us happy this morning. We're looking for something to make us feel better this morning or right now or today or this week. And sometimes that's the only solution we are, uh, we are interested in, just immediate happiness. Well, you know what? God is interested in that. But the root of our problem must be dealt with in order for us to be truly happy, for us to know how to walk in joy and experience the joy of the Lord, the, our root problem. And that's what Jesus came to do. Uh, our, our daily trials... Our tears uh, and even death can only be alleviated by getting to the root source of it. So God is our comfort for daily heartaches and afflictions. And going back to what Paul said, God is the God of all comfort. He, he comforts, comforts us in, in all our affliction. But I want us to see um, the, the magnitude of this news. It, not that our problems aren't important, and it's really wonderful to find comfort in them, and we should, but it's even bigger than that. Christ is the answer to everything that's wrong. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Christ's mission is to bring an end to all evil and suffering and sin in the entire universe, in the entire world for all who come to him, all who trust in him, and all who know him. He, he, he comes to uh, conquer everything. So the message is the message is joy to the world. Uh, yes, it, it is joy for you, it's joy for me, but it's, it's also on a bigger scale than that. It's a worldwide joy. The angel said, behold, I bring you good news of great joy. What shall be for all people? 
I mean, this is something that we are to celebrate together. This is something that we ought to get as many people together as we possibly can and, and uh, rejoice and sing to him and shout glory to God and hallelujah and, and enjoy this, joy to the world. So no wonder God said, go up on a high mountain. Get, up, get yourself up on a mountain and tell the people that something new is taking place. Something that staggers the imagination. Something is going to happen that will solve all your fears. Solve all your fears. Fulfill all your hopes. Fulfill every dream you could have ever possibly had. Alleviate all your miseries. Defeat all your enemies. Lift up your voice with all your might. And cry out, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Your God is coming to you. Do not fear, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what is he going to do for you when he comes? Verse 11, if you have your Bibles open, you look down at verse 11. I didn't put it in the bulletin, but... What is he going to do for you when he comes? Behold, he comes. Verse 11, and like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. He gathers the lambs in his arms and will carry them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. What is Jesus Christ going to do for you when he comes to you? He's going to tend you like his lambs. He gathers the lambs in his arms and will carry them. He will tend his flock. He will carry them close to his heart. You know, I tell you this morning, uh, I mean this, I hope you hear this. When you hear that verse, when you hear that promise, when you hear those words, and you begin to believe that, you have begun to know God. You begin to discover who God is. This is what Jesus Christ revealed God to be. God is a shepherd. Jesus Christ is a good shepherd. So he will not only, he, he will not only pardon your sins and release you from them, he will bring you up close to his heart and he will carry you like a shepherd carries his lambs. What a beautiful picture. He will bring you up close to his heart, and when you are weak, he will carry you. When you're helpless, he will lead you. He will show you the way you are to go. He will lead you in paths of righteousness for his sake. So, the comfort that you long for, the comfort that I long for, the comfort that we all long for is found in who? Jesus Christ, the Lord, God. He is God's comfort for troubled, sinful failures. <laughs> He's God's comfort for troubled people. So go to him for comfort. Stop, stop trying to solve your sin problem and your sorrows and disappointments with something or somebody else. We used to sing a, a song many years ago at church that went like this. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you with his spirit and his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Oh, let him have the things that hold you. 
and his spirit like a dove will descend upon your life and make you whole. Give him all your tears and sadness. Give him all your years of pain and you'll enter into life in Jesus' name. I pray that that might even happen for somebody listening here, here in this room or perhaps online. Um, give him all your tears and sadness as well as your sins and failures. Give him all your years of pain and you'll enter into life. In Jesus' name, let's pray.